Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, welcome in. This is the All Ball Podcast. All basketball, all the time. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and I got a bunch of little topics to get to. Before we'll get to our guest of the week, he is Brad Davison. He is the point guard. He is the leader. He is the coach on the floor. Wait to hear how much of a coach on the floor he is for the Wisconsin Badgers of the Big Ten. Uh, we're getting close to Selection Sunday, and let me debunk a couple of things for you. Okay, there's this uh, there's this word that we use. It's called strength, or three words we use. It's called strength of schedule. The acronym is SOS. Strength of schedule. And I love when some of my friends send to me things about uh, programs that I really enjoy, that I like, and their strength of schedule. Now, I've been doing this long enough so that you can, you can check my work on this if you'd like. You go back to 2009, and St. Mary's played what was an incredibly lowly rate, like 300s in the strength of schedule. Now, some of it was, and I remember the year specifically because they played a Southern Illinois, and it was Southern Illinois' first year in like a decade where they weren't any good. And so, you know, part of it was just the reality of, hey, I get that the schedule looks bad, but if you look at it, they tried to schedule good teams, just some of the teams that they normally scheduled weren't that good. So I, I, I do give, did you play away from home? Did you play in a, in a tournament if you could? Did you challenge yourself? If we look at it as reasonable sports fans, we don't need a number of strength of schedule. But here's the other thing. So this year, St. Mary's strength of schedule is like 38th, I believe, or 33rd. Like, it's really, really high. And while in 2009 they defended their low-ranked strength of schedule because I thought the reality was it was a lot stronger, and they didn't lose any of those games. This year, this is, let me read for, this is St. Mary's non-conference. McNeese State, Utah Valley, New Mexico State, which is actually a pretty good win. 
Utah State, Mississippi State, Harvard, UC Irvine, Cal, Bethune-Cookman, New, New Mexico, Cal State Fullerton, LSU, Bucknell, Western Kentucky, San Jose State. Um, San Jose State's terrible. They're just terrible this year. They've been mostly terrible since joining the Mountain West. Cal, and up until the last two games, they got a two-game winning streak. They've been terrible as well, but that's a big game for St. Mary's to get Cal to come into their building, you know, which is 10 minutes down the road. The schedule is good. It's outstanding. You know the problem is? Utah State's an NCAA tournament team. They lost by 17 points. Mississippi State, they played. Uh, they lost by four points, probably a tournament team. Harvard, Harvard, they lost to by six at home. UC Irvine, they lost to a tournament team by five points. And LSU beat them by four points. Now, if you want to see they, they, those are close losses, I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with the fact that they didn't get blown out, although I can hold it against. I mean, I remember Michigan made the tournament a couple years ago, and they had 11 losses of 10 or more points. Like, that's not a good team. But you can tell me all this you want about strength of schedule for St. Mary's. Here's the problem. They didn't beat any of the good teams. They lost to West Kentucky as well. They lose to West Kentucky, lose to Irvine, lose to Harvard, lose to Mississippi State, lose to Utah State, lose to LSU. In other words, all of the good teams on that strength schedule, like, hey, we got a great strength of schedule. Cool. Did you beat any of those teams? And they're not alone in that. You know, uh, uh, Indiana is a, is a bubble team, Right. Because they beat Michigan State twice, but they've lost 12 over the last 15 games. And you can tell me how good they're. Look at the tier, look at the tier one wins. Like, all we're doing is recreating the RPI and making 75 instead of 50. And the Big Ten is smart. Playing 20 games is smart. You get, you get a chance to double up on, on the tier one wins. But they lost to Northwestern, who's not good this year at home. They lost to Rutgers. They lost to. Uh, who else they lost? I mean, you, you go through the list. You're like, well, they lost to the bottom of the league. All right. So congratulations on beating Michigan state, but you know, we know kind of who you are. We, we, we get it. And I, I also know that we have to find enough teams to play, play the NCAA tournament. But when you lose to Ohio state at home, when you lose by 21 to Minnesota on the road, when you lose to Rutgers, and a Northwestern. Northwestern's not good this year. You lose to Nebraska, and granted, that was back when Nebraska was healthy uh, by, by 15 points. You lose all those games. Like, what are we, what are we sitting here? We're saying that because, uh, because back in, on November 14th, you beat Marquette at home by 23 points. Like, that's who you are? Like, all right. You also lost to Arkansas. You got smacked by Duke. You beat Louisville by one point. Like, are we supposed to be crazy impressed by a team that's lost 12 out of 15 games? My answer is no. Now, maybe this all becomes moot because Illinois beats them at home and Illinois suddenly hops in on some wild bubble discussion. But I, I struggle to put a team. I, I could not put a team that loses 12 of 15 games in the NCAA tournament, even if two of, the, two of those three wins were against Michigan State. That's, and they're both close games, which screen to me that it, matchups help them. And empirically good teams should get in the NCAA tournament more so than matchup based good teams. So look, when you make your arguments about who belongs in, who doesn't belong in the NCAA tournament, like I just don't understand why we can't have people who 
call up the resume and look at it on TV and look at the teams and look at, did you, did you try and schedule out a conference on the road? Uh, obviously based upon what team you are, you know, like everybody in the big 10 can't get into a, a, a big time tournament, but did you try and get into some sort of tournament? Did you, did you challenge yourself? And then how'd you do? And uh, do the losses correlate with an injured player? And what are you playing like now? Have you gotten better as the season has gone on? I think all of that matters. I really do. I do. They don't ask me how to pick the, the 68 teams, but I'll share with you what I would do, which is I would get a room full of guys who have played, coached, administrated, you know, even analyze college basketball and let's just go through the teams and put them up on a board. I think the more you have rankings and stats, whatever, the more you get confused by them because some of them make no sense and there can be some statistical outliers that help them. All right, let me quickly get you to the NBA. Let's start with the Lakers. You know, there's a lot of blame to be handed out and I would easily hand out the blame on LeBron James's plate. The reason is not because of how he played before he got hurt and many times the way in which he plays offensively since. We're picking apart his defense and his defense would be made better if Lonzo Ball hadn't gotten hurt because, you know, Lonzo is that good. I do think a portion of it is on LeBron in terms of buy into coach, buy into teammates. On the other hand, why is this roster so flawed? They didn't get enough shooters. They, they had a stretch five in Brooke Lopez. They chose to let him go. Look at how good a season he's had, how important he is to open up space for, for Giannis. You know, even the midseason trade of Zubach, like Zubach is a starting center. He's 21 years old. You give him up for Mike Muscala or Sfi, you give him up for uh, a guy who, Reggie Bullock, who's slow. He's not a dynamic shooter. You know, it's not like he's played playoff basketball. You know how he's going he's gonna to press playing with LeBron. Like, I, I just don't think this has been a very well-run deal. And, I like Luke Walton, but you put Luke in a really tough situation. And anytime somebody came out and said something negative about Luke, why didn't you have his back? Luke Walton is our coach. If these guys have any problem, they'll bring it up with Luke Walton, but you didn't. And now you got a mess. You know, now in order to get Anthony Davis, you got to overpay. And once you do, yes, you get rid of some youth, but Brandon Inger's been playing good basketball. Kyle Kuzma can really score. Lonzo Ball's a terrific player. I, I don't know. And, oh, yeah, by the way, LeBron is not going to get younger, is not going to get bouncier, is not going to play the pick and roll better. He may shoot it better because you don't have to move as much. But look at his contem- his contemporaries are Dwayne Wade, who's going to retire. Carmelo Anthony, who, you know, might join a team and might not. He's like the last of the Mohicans from his, 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 his draft class. Of course he's going to look slower. Of course he's going to struggle to defend, struggle to move. And I, I think he probably needs to lose a little weight. He's got a little Hollywood with his workouts. He's not wrong that his surrounding cast isn't great. Some of that's on him. Some of it's on he and Rich Paul, where people around the league, they don't want to do business with the Lakers. Even though normally your guy wants to play for the Lakers because they think clutch sports is running things. They'll determine starting lineup, coach, and guys just don't want to deal with it. Last thing is this. Here's where LeBron does need to be accountable. He got hurt. You've heard the stories. Wasn't hanging around the team. Showing up late to games, had a goblet of wine in his hand. I was told from people sitting close that he was, he was seen texting. You know, just a lack of buy-in. If you get hurt and you're the leader and you're really committed to making it work, then you should be at practice and you should help coach. That's what Rondo did. That's not what LeBron did. 
And oh yeah, by the way, Rondo and LeBron had the had the lowest had the lowest PPP as a tandem uh, of any tandem with LeBron on the Lakers. Rondo's inability to guard, inability to make shots, inability to do much anything offensively uh, limits them. They their offensive rating is one hundred, like just over one hundred when those two are on the floor together, as opposed to one hundred eight point one when it's LeBron on the floor without Rajon Rondo. And then there's this, uh, the Celtics are coming to L.A. We just saw them beat the Golden State Warriors. We make a huge deal about, and rightfully so, about Kyrie Irving, his level of happiness. Dude, you make $30 million a year. You start in a movie that you got to direct, produce, etc. Get happy. But lost in it is, maybe Gordon Hayward's the key, key to the whole thing. He had 30 against the Warriors. He had a lot of bounce in his step. And when he shoots over, 40, over 50%, they've only lost two games all year. When he shoots under 50%, they're 17 and 22. I think Gordon Hayward's improvement, Gordon Hayward's ability to play uh, through, through this kind of learning year, how he does in the playoffs, that determines their success far more so than Kyrie Irving. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's get you to Brad Davison. He's the point guard for the University of Wisconsin. All right, so let's welcome him in. He's Brad Davison. Not sure if you knew he was a quarterback in high school. Brad Davison joins us here on the All Ball podcast. Um, okay, so look, um, among the legendary things about you and your upbringing, 
everyone seems to know because, like, look, we all do this broadcasting thing. We all have to t- retell the same stories over and over again. You were, in fact, a really good high school quarterback. How good were you? <laughs> yes, sir. Back in the day, um, I played football. Um, you know, I was pretty good. I didn't really start taking football seriously until my sophomore year when I got the starting job at my high school uh, at the quarterback spot. Um, my best year was definitely my senior year. Um, my team had a really successful three years, went to the state tournament every year. Always came up short. So that's one of my biggest regrets from high school, not getting that state championship. Um, but, you know, football will always have a place in my heart for sure. All right, you played for Maple Grove in, uh, in Minnesota. Like, where actually in Minnesota is Maple Grove? So it's a northwest suburb, um, just about 20 minutes outside the city. Okay, so you, you like hardcore Vikings, Twins, T-Wolves, like those are your squads? Or, or did you diversify because, you know, there were times which your, your local teams weren't that good, and so you rooted for whoever <laughs> was the best? I've always been a big Vikings fan. So I'm a Vikings fan through and through, even though everyone here in Wisconsin is trying to, trying to make me uh, jump sides of the Packers. But I'm staying true to the Vikings. I've never been a big Twins or T-Wolves fan. Never, never really was a big MLB or NBA guy. Um, but actually, also in the NFL, my sister's husband is a linebacker for the Steelers. So the Steelers have kind of been my, uh, my go-to team in the last couple of years, too. All right, let's, let's talk some Vikings really quickly. What's it like when you're a kid outside of Minneapolis in the suburbs and Brett Favre, who's the rival who you hate, is your quarterback? Like, that's, that's got to be part of, like, you remember of your childhood. Do you remember what that was like? I remember. So being a quarterback, I always loved watching you know, all the great quarterbacks. And Brett Favre's obviously one of the greatest. So my my hate for him was only because he was for the Packers. Um, so that was definitely more of a respect, uh, respectful hatred. Um, but when he came to the Vikings, you know, I accepted him with welcoming arms and open arms because that was kind of always the, the piece we were missing at the quarterback position. Um, so I went from a not – uh, kind of a secret Brett Favre fan to a very um, open Brett Favre fan during those couple of years. All right, so you grew up in, in Minneapolis. Uh, I've seen pictures. You had a little a little sport court at the house, right? Yes, sir. Um, okay, so when, like, was that, did, did, your, did your dad put that in at some point? Was it all, did you always have a court there? When, when do you remember that court going in at the house? So that went in when my sisters were in, like, seventh and fifth grade, so just getting out of elementary school, and then I was just starting elementary school. Um, so he put that in, my parents put that in, um, we were out there every day in the summer. I'd go out there before school, after school, um, usually playing one-on-one or horse against my sisters. They used to always beat me up growing up on the basketball court. When did you start beating them? About seventh grade is when I could start beating them in one-on-one. Uh, so they actually both played basketball at Northern Iowa. Yep. I know. Um, and they were six years and four years older than me respectively. Um, uh, so about seventh grade is when I could start beating them in one-on-one, but, uh, they they could still beat me in horse up until about high school years. So right. then I kind of took over that title. So I have a I have a nine year old son, and he's like, he's kind of baby step now. He's like all into hoops. He plays football. He plays okay. baseball a- as well. Um, when you like, when did you know? You're growing up. You're playing all these different sports. What, do you remember what it was like in fourth, fifth, sixth grade? Like what what you thought you wanted to be, who you thought you were going to be, who you idolized, and and what you thought ultimately would play out. So I have always wanted to be a college basketball coach. Um, so I was always coached by my parents growing up. My parents coached my sisters growing up. So I was always around the game, kind of from a on the bench from a coach's perspective, and that's kind of what I've always wanted to do. Um, so since I knew I wanted to be a college basketball coach. Basketball was kind of always in the back of my mind growing up of what I wanted to do in college. Um, but I remember in fourth, fifth, sixth grade, it was for me, it was just all about competing. Um, I loved competition, whether it was in sports, card games, 
you know, who could who could get to the dinner table first. I was just trying to win everything. Um, but growing up, it was, basketball was kind of always in the back of my mind. But, again, it was just about competition at that point. You mentioned your mom, because I know your mom coached you as well kind of, kind of growing up. Who's better? What, what's different about your mom and your dad as a coach? Cool. I would say my mom is probably a little bit more intense. I'd say my dad's kind of the more patient, laid-back coach. My mom's the more um, – neither, neither were yellers. They're more um, – I was only coached by my, by, my, by my mom in third, fourth, and fifth grade. Um, so I was very young, so she couldn't necessarily yell at us at that age. Um, but she coached both my sisters growing up, and then my dad had me from fifth through ninth grade. So I don't know who would say would be better, but they definitely have contrasting styles, to say the least. Do you remember when you took your first charge? Oh, third and fourth grade. Third <laughs> and fourth grade. I, I was watching my sisters. My One sister never took a charge. My other sister always took charges. Um, so growing up, I was always um, watching them and seeing what they were doing. And actually, the cool thing about my parents is every time, they love charges, so whenever someone on their team would take a charge, they'd reward them with the Dairy Queen Blizzard. Um, so back in that day, you know, I loved ice cream, so whatever you could do to get a blizzard. Uh, chocolate or vanilla blizzard? What was your blizzard order? Cookie dough Oreo blizzard, still to this day. I mean, listen, I, I, can't, you can't, I can't fault you for any of that, right? It's like, do you like cookie <laughs> dough or do you like Oreo? And the answer is yes. The, the, answer, is, <laughs> the answer is yes. Give me both. The, the, the answer is yes. Okay, so you're growing up in the Twin Cities. You dream of coaching college basketball. Who's your favorite team growing up? Um, growing up, I was always – I did season tickets to the Gophers, um, and I was always at all those games. I just loved the Big Ten. Um, so I watched all the Big Ten games, and then my grandpa and my dad were big Duke fans growing up. Um, so I was also a big Duke fan. So I'd say the Big Ten and Duke were my two favorite um, basketball teams and basketball leagues growing up. Yeah, I was, a, I was a Duke guy growing up as well. I grew up in Southern California. My we okay. had we had UCLA season tickets, and my my brother and sister went there. But that was when I was like in in high school, so I liked them. But like Duke had Bobby Hurley, who was like my idol, and they were awesome. Uh-huh. I actually saw them win a national championship at in uh, in Minneapolis. That was their that was the back to back title. Yeah, too, my uh, my father was there as well. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Um, and so I was so, and then Tyus goes Tyus Jones goes to Duke, and then his brothers there as well. Like. Did you ever, and you had good grades, I know Stanford recruited you, did they ever talk to you at all? Um, yes, sir. So my last, uh, my summer in the EYBL after my junior year, I talked to Coach Shire quite a bit, um, and they were definitely on my short list when I came to making my decision. Um, and I was, Trey Jones is one of my best friends growing up. So I played with him since about sixth grade, and I was always really close to the Jones family. Um, and I played with Gary Trent Jr. growing up, so I was always um, cheering Tyus on from afar too. So I always grew up a Duke fan, uh, but when it came down to, it, I didn't want to go that far away from home, and I always kind of uh, envisioned myself playing somewhere in the Big Ten. Yeah, it's interesting though. There's all these Minneapolis guys, and you know, between you, Reed, Travis, uh, Tyus, Trey. Like I know recently they've got some some guys, but everyone's gone elsewhere. I know. Look, it's and like we we like national wise. You know, we like to talk about like trends, whatever. I do think everybody's decision is different unto themselves, but why is it that so many Minneapolis kids go elsewhere to play college basketball? Um, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's definitely different. Everyone kind of has their um, different journey. They go through the recruiting process. Um, I think it's all about fit. You know, it's about fit, where, whether it's playing style, culture, whatever you're kind of looking for. Um, you know, Minnesota obviously has a great program. they got a lot of good um, – you know, with Jarvis and Dan and Gabe coming in in the 2018 class. Um, but, you know, I think everyone kind of has their own journey. Uh, for me personally, I kind of always saw myself 
at Wisconsin growing up was a team that I kind of had my eye on. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, everyone has their own journey. So that's just my, my story, I guess. So what was what was your recruiting process like? Okay, so here's – I'll give you mine, then you give me yours, okay? So I'm, I'm in okay. Southern California. I was a holdback kid. So my, my junior year, going into my junior year, um, I still had not yet developed into where I was a definite high major. I remember Florida okay. and Virginia were the two high majors on me. This is – Mid nineties, they were both really good programs. Florida actually went to the Final Four in ninety four, and I was like, you know, because they're the first ones in. Everybody else was like Northern Iowa, Western Kentucky, those type of programs, mm-hmm. mid majors, and they're the first high majors in. I was like, ooh, I'm really into them. And then summer before my senior year, I kind of blew up and circled back to UCLA, but I was still a little bitter. They hadn't offered me earlier. I ended up going. To Notre, I ended up going to Notre Dame because I wanted to start as a freshman. Wanted to play in the Big East. I like the idea of an academic school. I had a great time on my visit. Felt like dudes I could hang out with. What, what was your process like? Yeah, so pretty similar. Um, going into my last summer, I was kind of on that bubble between high major and mid major. Um, I had five offers going into my last summer: um, Northern Iowa, South Dakota State, those schools. Um, and then I had a really good last summer on the UIBL circuit. Um, I played with Howard Pulley, uh, with Trey Jones, Theo John, Gary Trent Jr. I made a really successful season as a team and individually. Um, I ended up, that's why I kind of blew up and got my high major offers. I ended up getting over 30 offers, which was a blessing in a lot of ways. Um, so that was kind of when I got all my high major looks. Um, and then it kind of came down to I had a top seven with Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Northwestern, Duke, Stanford, and Harvard mm-hmm. um, were kind of what I narrowed it down to. And that's took kind of, I went to an unofficial visit tour where I drove to all the Midwest schools with my parents. Um, I got to see all of them, and I took an official visit to Stanford. Um, Whoa, like hold on, slow, slow, slow down, slow down. Okay, so the unofficial visits you went to. Okay, sounds uh, good. Which, which ones did you go to? I went to Michigan. Okay, so what? Give me, give me, give me, give me. Hold on, well, as we go through Michigan. Okay. One, one thing about Michigan that you remember most? Go. Michigan, um, obviously, just the tradition of the program. Uh, I'd say one of the funniest memories is I was on the golf cart with Coach Beeline and my parents. And he ran into a stop sign. Um, that's definitely one thing that I remember for like, sure. Like I'll physically ran with the, with the golf cart, ran like into the stop physically sign? physically ran the golf cart into a stop sign. Was because he was um, talking to you guys or he just... Yeah, we were in the middle of a conversation and it just hit boom. <laughs> and then that was, that was definitely one thing I'll always remember. Um, and then just, again, I'm a, I'm a big football guy. So, right. you know, the walk around the big house and just go on the field um, with my dad. That was something I always remember as well. D- did you meet Harbaugh? I did not. He was not in town, but we got to see all the different, all the football locker room and all the different tradition they have there as well. So, so, so um, beautiful facilities there. So when I visited Notre Dame, I never forget this. So Lou Holtz was the coach, right? And so what okay. they do is they they bring you in. You'd meet the president of the school, who's a big. Ba- he actually was a basketball player, and so he knew everything about you. Then you go down, you go, and then you get ready for the football pep rally, which they have um, in the arena. And they were they were playing Michigan actually in football the next day, and okay. Lou Holtz comes in. And he knew, and I mean, I know they prepped him, whatever, but he literally knew everything about you. And he'd come in and go, <laughs> I got it, it's great to meet you, point guard of Orange County, Southern California. You play for Andy Graham, right? Oh, he's a good coach. He's good. He's a good football program right there. <laughs> I, we, you, listen, we need, a, we, need a, we need a quarterback on a basketball program. We want you to be that guy, right? Like, it was, it was like, amazing. <laughs> I'm like, Lou Holtz is recruiting me. It was amazing. Okay, so, right. okay, so you go from Mission Northwestern. Um, now this is when you visit Northwestern, they didn't have the arena redone, but you know, Chris has kind of got this thing rolling a little bit. What do you remember about your visit to Northwestern? 
Yeah, I just remember that, um, just kind of the family atmosphere on the program. You know, they had a lot of their family there, and we just spent a lot of time together. Uh, you know, I'm a big family guy, so both my parents were there. And just the community, um, just being around the coaches and their families and getting to meet a lot of the players. I got to meet Coach Fitz uh, at Northwestern in the weight room, so I did get to meet him there. Uh, but, again, another beautiful campus right there on the lake. Um, that was kind of right when they were getting things rolling. Did they didn't you, have the, um, did you, the arena yet, but I got to see all the – blueprint for it did you did you meet that crazy strength coach guy that the assistant strength coach guy have you seen that guy on twitter like where he gets the I, football? <laughs> I don't i don't remember seeing him i'm sure he was probably in the weight room because i was in there quite a bit but at that time he hadn't he hadn't blown up on the on twitter for his sideline uh impression <laughs> that stuff is amazing right that's a classic assistant strength coach guy right classic assistant right, exactly strength. to the t <laughs> um but but like the problem with the Northwestern thing is like you want to bu- like you want to buy in right I'm sure Chris loved you and you connected there you're like man it's hard to like when you're looking at Michigan and they have Beeline and they've been to a national championship and you're looking at Wisconsin and Coach Guard part of the they've been to two Final Fours and you're like Northwestern and it's a it's a hard, it's a hard sell. okay so where else did you drive uh, then we went to Dayton. Uh, when Coach Miller was there before he went to Indiana, yep. and then we went to Butler, where Coach Holtman was before he went to Ohio State. Yeah, love both. Of, I like both those guys. Holt, I really, really, really like. Although, and that, it, how cool is it now? Are you? Do you like Hoosiers? Is like I, I showed it to my son, and there are things that he doesn't. He's like, this is this does not look like basketball today. Like, is Hoosiers <laughs> is Hoosiers your jam, or is it a little dated for you? I grew up watching all those movies. I loved the Hoosiers. I loved Coach Carter. Um, all those movies I loved watching. Um, obviously, the Bobby Knight stories at the Indiana Hoosiers um, is big time. But I had never really seen Indiana before until we actually just played there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Assembly Hall is amazing. You know, I was just telling somebody how steep the arena is. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, who who sits um, yeah, in that upper deck? I don't know anybody who would sit in that upper deck, right? Why would you pay money to sit? That upper deck is so far from the court, it's crazy. But they do, and they go nuts. <laughs> Right, I would I would uh, settle for sitting on the couch and watching it on TV. <laughs> uh, okay, and so uh, Butler or Dayton? Now Dayton's pretty cool. I mean, that arena is obviously historic, and historic. and they got good, they got good facilities as well. One memory about Dayton? Go. Dayton, I would say just being around all the guys. Um, you know, they were kind of with me for the whole visit, and then getting to watch um, a workout that Coach Miller put one of his kids through. Um, just kind of the intensity and the passion that they had around their program. Um, you could see kind of how we built that program just on passion and drive and fire, and that was really, really awesome to see. And then Butler? Um, Butler Hinkle Fieldhouse was incredible, too. You know, yeah. It kind of has that historic feel, just like Assembly. Um, and then Coach Stroggy was one of their assistants, yep. um, who's now at Ohio State, and he was actually recruiting me at Stanford earlier. So I had a good relationship with him. So just getting to meet him and be around him and uh, kind of hear about the historic aspect of Hinkle Fieldhouse was super impressive as well. So why'd you go to Wisconsin? Wisconsin was kind of always, so being a fan of the Big Ten growing up, um, kind of in that era, Wisconsin always kind of seemed to be at the top. And so I always wanted to compete for Big Ten championships and have a chance to go to Final Fours. Um, and when I was in eighth grade, I had the opportunity to come to the Wisconsin team camp with Howard Pulley. And that was the first time that I had really met Coach Guard. And so he was kind of the first high major coach I ever talked to. And actually the first first coach to offer me um, was at South Coast State was Coach Krabinoff. And so then when Coach Krabinoff became an assistant here in my junior year, it kind of took my two first coaches that I'd ever talked to in the recruiting process and brought them together. Yeah. And that kind of that sealed the deal for me because Coach Krabinoff's kind of always been my guy. Yeah, Krabby was at, uh, I think, South Dakota State. 
And uh, yes, sir. I, yeah, I did their games and we, we reminisced about Wisconsin. I knew ultimately he would, he would end up back there. Okay. So, uh, what was your signing day like? Did you have, were you in the gym or did you just do it, you know, quietly? Like what was your, you're at Maple Grove, you're a football star, you're a basketball star. It's a big thing to sign in the Big Ten and to sign at Wisconsin. They've had a lot of the Minnesota kids, uh, Minneapolis kids go there. What was your mm-hmm. signing day like? Yeah, so I didn't do any of the videos or the big announcements. Um, I just tweeted mine, <laughs> just tweeted my commitment, um, and I called all the coaches that I was getting recruited by before I did that just to thank them for their time and thank them for going through the recruiting process with me. Um, but my signing day is I actually signed with Couple, a few others from my high school. It was just on signing day in our gym. Uh, one of my best friends, his name's Charlie Horton. Mm-hmm. He was actually signed to be a pitcher at the Gophers. Um, and there was a girl named Taylor Wente who signed to be a hockey player at the Gophers. Um, so I signed with a couple Gophers, <laughs> and then I went to Wisconsin. But it was cool. We had all the, you know, the local media and all our friends and families came. Who's who is the hardest phone call to make? Like who is the guy you connect? You really connected with? You really liked? You just like yeah? I just I, I didn't I didn't. I, I thought I fit in better at Wisconsin. Uh, my first phone call was definitely the hardest um, to Coach Jacobson at University of Northern Iowa. Yeah. Um, so with both my sisters there, I'd known them, you know, ever since sixth grade, and even in sixth grade, he goes, "I think you're going to play here someday." <laughs> and so I always kind of had that relationship with them. Um, and I got really close with all the coaches throughout the throughout the recruiting process, just because I'm a very I'm very much a people person. So I love I love communication and just being vulnerable and getting to know one another. Um, that was definitely the hardest one. Um, there was a lot of tears. It, was, it took me about five and a half hours to get through all the coaching staff. Um, it's definitely one of the hardest days of my life. But you know, having the conversation with Coach Card and Coach Grab and not telling him I'm coming here um, made that day a lot better, yeah. a lot sweeter too. Yeah, J- Jake's a good friend of mine. He's a great dude. Like, well, the best thing He's about man. J- best thing about Jake is I call like their their first his first like nationally televised game when he took over for McDermott. Um, they okay. just they just opened the McLeod Center and. Uh, I'll never forget, like, he comes by the table. Like, we, I, we'd hung out a couple days, the day before. I, I, we, he and I lifted weights together, hung out with him and his family. And he comes by the table right before the game. It's a big game. I can't remember they're playing. It's a non-conference game. But it was some, some that well, I was back working at ESPN, and they'd set up. Anyway, he comes by the table, and he goes, hey, Applebee's. And I was like, well, okay, like, what? He's like, no, Applebee's. We go to Applebee's after the game. And I was like, really? Oh, okay. And he's like, yeah. He's like, no, listen. <laughs> We're going to Applebee's after the game and have some beers. It's like, okay. I was like, well, what if you lose? He's like, well, whatever. We're going. We go to Applebee's after the game. It was. It was literally. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid if you played like soccer or maybe played football. Like I remember, you know, like we out here in California, we do like Shakey's Pizza after the game and watch the game. It was almost like that. It was like, and to this now he doesn't go to Applebee's. I forget the place that they go to now, but it's kind of the same thing. Like he's literally the same guy now. And now, obviously, they're having. They've had a couple down years. They got a great freshman point guard, but um, mm-hmm. but but even now, even through the success that they've had, he's still after the game. Like, hey, we're going to have a beer afterwards if you want to come. And kind of anybody can come. It's not that. That's the best thing about some guys change, and some guys mm-hmm. become, some guys become kind of douchey, and other guys kind of. And he's still kind of a dude from North Dakota who loves to coach ball and likes people. Right. That's the best part about it. Right. He was he was the same person from when I was a sixth grader running around after women's basketball games to when I was, um, you know, still to this day whenever I get to see him or talk to him. Uh, that's something that I've always respected about him, something that I definitely appreciate and don't take for granted. All right, so you show up at, at University of Wisconsin. And, yes, sir. Uh, they'd made every tournament ever, you know, and Greg Gard's your coach. Did you come in the summer or did you wait till the fall? 
Uh, I came in the summer. So June 16th, we all reported here for summer workouts and summer classes. And summer in Madison is amazing. It's amazing. Like, literally, ama- you got two lakes. You got girls <laughs> everywhere. You know, you got all the facilities. <laughs> it's, it, the weather is perfect. Uh, the, weather, the weather is absolutely pristine and perfect. What do, you, what do you remember? Like, was there a welcome to high major basketball moment early on? Hmm. Yeah, Madison summers, you can't beat them. I always say there's definitely worse places to be stuck in the summer. Um, I would say, so we actually had the opportunity to go to um, Australia and New Zealand my first summer here for a foreign tour. Um, so I'd say, first of all, just we got 20 extra hours of practice early in the summer, and those were intense. And I'd never been in such a, an intense practice before. Um, and so we actually had the opportunity to go over the foreign tours and just kind of the games, the atmospheres. It obviously wasn't a college atmosphere. Um, but just the intensity from our coaching staff and the players, everyone being locked in. Um, I'd say my first kind of eye-opening experience was definitely on those trips to, on that foreign tour. Yeah, I, I remember, like, I played for a really good high school coach, and I know you played for a great program, AAU, your parents, and high school. But it's it's really hard to describe to people who haven't experienced the difference in the physicality and level of intensity in a college practice. Is there, is it like, it's hard, it's hard to tell people, like, it's so much better and tougher and harder, Correct. Oh, exactly. You know, I think everyone talks about the speed and the physicality and the athleticism, um, but I think my biggest hurdle is just the mental aspect of it. You know, I think a lot of the games played between, you know, your two years, like they say, um, but just realizing that it's still basketball and still remaining confident. Um, I think that was the biggest hurdle for me, but it's amazing just the difference. The difference in speed and strength at the end of the day, it's still basketball. It's still stayed, played in between the same lines. It's just uh, everything's notched up quite a bit. When did you first hurt your shoulder? So the fourth game of the year, we had our Thanksgiving tournament in Kansas City. Um, it was in the second half against Baylor. The first time that it dislocated, fully dislocated. And then, and, and when you were, did you ever watch the Lethal Weapon movies growing up? <laughs> I didn't, but I've heard the story afterwards. <laughs> yeah, so you were basically, I think, I think it was Riggs, right? Mel Gibson's character, he could kind of always pop his shoulder back into place, right? He was like, I don't know if he's double-jointed <laughs> or whatever. Like, that's what you did last year, right? Yeah, so after that first time, um, so it was totally dislocated into my, into my chest, so it dislocated forward. Um, I went back to the locker room, and trainer Henry and our Dr. Orwin, they popped it back in. And so then it's just kind of weak after you pop it back in. Um, so I had to pass a few strength tests before I could go back out there and play, and then I finished the game. Um, and then throughout the season, it fully dislocated nine different times where I had to go back to the locker room and pop it back in. And then it would sublux you know, one or two times a game where I could just put it back in myself where it would just kind of perch out. Um, so it's definitely a long, a long struggle in a lot of different ways. Um, a lot of ice, a lot of treatment, a lot of rehab. Um, but you know what? Oh, it doesn't kill you, makes you stronger. So it makes me uh, definitely appreciate it, not take for granted what we have going this year. No, no question. Um, but as you said, like, look, you dreamed of playing college basketball and throughout your lifetime, since you can remember, Wisconsin had always been in the NCAA tournament, like always, right? I mean, yes, like always. Cr- crazy, always since that streak started before I was alive. <laughs> I know. So to for you on your watch, and I know you had injuries on your watch to be mm-hmm. the point guard of the team that doesn't make the tournament. What was that like for you? It was tough. You know, we always say last year was a struggle. It was a struggle, obviously, because of you know our record and the injuries we had. Um, and people try to make excuses for us, but when it came down to it, we lost a lot of close games at the end, um, regardless of all the injuries we had and who we, who we had in our team. 
Um, but it was tough. You know, I think especially everyone always says, you know, you have four years, you have four years to do this and do that, but you only have one year with the guys in that locker room. Um, and we didn't want to send the seniors out with that kind of legacy, and especially with the question marks about whether or not Ethan was going to come back. We didn't want to send him out with that legacy. Um, so definitely hurt. Um, it was something that we tried not to talk about during the year, but, you know, with social media now, with everyone around the program, you know, it's, it's hard not to hear about it sometimes. Um, so it definitely hurt, and it was definitely a struggle that could have, you know, for this year divided us apart and made us doubt ourselves, or it could have brought us closer together. I think it definitely brought us closer together this year, and kind of just having that sour taste in our mouth, plus having everyone back. You only want to make sure we send Ethan out and Khalil out and Charlie out, um, you know, with a different legacy that means more than, you know, the team and the class that lost the streak. Um, you, you mentioned Ethan. There was a lot of talk in college basketball. Not that he would go pro, but he would graduate and go elsewhere. You guys aren't blind, deaf, or dumb. I mean, mm-hmm. how, how, do you, how did you re-recruit Ethan to go like, look, dude, we're, we're, go- we're going to fix this. You've got to come back. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think that was kind of more of a thing that kind of became evident on social media. And I, I never really heard it from him that he was thinking about doing that. Uh, or I never heard it from our coaching staff. Um, we just always stayed in contact. I know I did and a few of the guys, and obviously our coaches did. Just checking in. You know, we wanted him to do what was best for him, whether that was, um, you know, to go to the combine, to come back, or whatever else his heart desired. You know, when it comes down to it, we're teammates, so, you know, we're also friends. So we want to do whatever he thinks is best. Um, we're right there with him, and we have his back through thick and thin. He's got the weirdest game ever, right? Because it's impressive. It's unbelievable. Like he's unbelievably productive. He's a tremendous sure. passer. He can score in the low post. He can handle the ball. Like he, you guys almost kind of play through him offensively and let him make plays. Um, what's what's he like to play with for you? We do. We definitely run a lot of things through him, and it's kind of it makes it difficult for teams to guard us because not a lot of teams have a have a point forward that can do it at this level. Um, but, you know, he makes the game easier for a lot of us around him, you know, just because of the attention that he gets at the block, and attention and his ability to push and transition with the ball. Um, he gives us obviously a lot of open looks because the defensive teams you can't really play him one on one. You know, he's going to get a shot off, he's going to get a good look. Um, so teams double him or they hard dig, and it allows us to get open shots and open driving angles. Um, so he's been a joy to play with the last couple of years. Um, we got to make sure that we can keep this thing going and take advantage of every opportunity we get to play with him. Just because he makes everyone around him better, um, and obviously with the attention he gets, um, and that's on both ends of the floor. So he's been a joy to play with. Okay, uh, I think the free throw thing is in his mind and in his legs. Because he's always, if you watch him, when I've watched you guys shoot, he's always focused on his hands, right? And I think mm-hmm. his hands are fine. Like the one thing, and I was a terrible, I, I was a great free throw shooter in high school growing up, and then in college I lost it, and mine was neck was all neck up. It was just completely neck okay. up. Yep. So I think some of his is neck up, but I think a lot of it is like he's not, even on his perimeter shot, he's not, his legs aren't necessarily in rhythm. Like if he, if he pulled you aside, like, Brad, fix this, help me, what would you say? You know, I think what I would say just to trust his shot. You know, I think he has so many people coming at him from different angles, trying to tell him this and trying to tell him that. Um, but I'm his free throw partner during practice, and he makes 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10, um, when he just shoots it. But I would just tell him to be confident and trust your shot. You know, it's the same thing that my dad always tells me, um, whether it's three-pointers or free throws. You know, you put the t- he puts more time in on his free throws and more times in on his game um, than anyone I've ever met. So I would just tell him to trust his shot, be confident with it. One thing we always say before is we always look at each other and just say, nice and smooth, nice and smooth. Um, so I would just tell him to trust it because we all believe in him. I mean, we just got to make sure he believes in himself. 
You mentioned your dad. What was a workout like your dad? Like, so if you were to say, how do I create a Brad Davison? What, what, what would, what, what did he do that allowed you to be who you are? He just taught me to love the game. You know, I think there's a lot of people that, um, that I know growing up that their parents would kind of force them to be in the gym or force them to do this and do that. And he, he let me make every decision I wanted to do. You know, I, was, I learned to love the game because I just learned to love being around it. I love to watch people play. I love to watch people work out. I love to watch it on TV. And that kind of formed into I loved having a ball in my hands. I loved going to the gym. I loved working out. Um, and then I think one of the things that has kind of got me to this point is he never told me what to do during workouts. He kind of let me do my own workout, and he was just always there. He was always rebounding. He was always passing, kind of just just being kind of that constant. Not, not necessarily a trainer, but just being that friend and that encourager and supporter um, and just kind of always allowing me to do what I wanted to do, whether that was football, basketball, baseball. You know, I played it all growing up. And he just um, he supported me and loved me through it all. Uh, that's something that I can never take for granted. So I would say just he would just allow, he would say just allow your kid to love doing what he does and allow him to do it. Um, you uh, you have this way about you which like I, I'm almost jealous of. Like I like to pick guys up when I played, and I could pick them up because I could create shots for them, or I may say something to make them laugh. But I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure I had the ener- I didn't have the energy that you have to constantly be chattering, constantly be supporting teammates. Where did you get that from? Like, who was the one who taught, told you to do that? You know, I think, again, just being around my parents and being around my sisters growing up and just always being around the game. And you know, there's certain things you gravitate towards. And I think someone who's always talking and who's always communicating on the floor is a confident player. And I think whether that's something, there's a lot of things in basketball you can't control, whether it's, you know, your shots are going in, what the refs are doing, what coach is saying. You can always control your, we call it able, your attitude, body language, and effort. And so the one thing you can control is your attitude and being positive and encouraging. Um, that's something that rubs off to your teammates. And I think when you have a whole team that's communicating, that's a confident team, that's a connected team, that's a, that's a team that's tough to mess with on both the offensive and defensive end that's connected as a unit like that. Um, are you superstitious at all? Uh, I would say I'm superstitious, yes, sir. Okay, because I'm asking because, like, look, you had one of those games where you couldn't make anything against IU. You mentioned how cool it is mm-hmm. to play at Indiana, and you guys lose in double overtime. Um, yes, sir. I, I don't know why you guys let Romeo go right. He's only going right. Like, he's going he's going right! He said, <laughs> I mean, he's going right! Oh. Even when he goes left, he's going right! Anyway, you had one... very similar to our film session the next day. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, 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 do you, like... I when I would lose a game, I would never wear those shoes ever uh, in a game ever again. Like there was something like, uh, do you? The, is there something you do differently after a game when you can't make a shot? Um, no, no. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's kind of been my theme for the year is not to get too high, not to get too low. My my kind of word for the year that I did is content. Um, yeah, I think there's obviously a lot of highs and lows throughout the season. There's highs and lows throughout a game, and it's just kind of just that ability to remain kind of steady and constant. Um, so I. I don't do anything like that. Again, I just kind of I called my dad and he just said, "Trust your shot," um, because you know you put all the time in, all that practice and repetition, um, and that that should breed confidence. So if you if you have a game where you don't miss, where you don't make a lot of shots, you know averages always average out. So Demetrius and I have both been struggling a little bit shooting. We just told each other that you know I'd rather struggle now instead of getting deeper into March. So it just means our percentages are about to go way up here. Who is the guy that you've struggled most to guard in the Big Ten? Who struggled most to guard? I'd say 
obviously Carson Edwards is a tough guard just because you can play great defense and he can still elevate over you and hit it from anywhere. And he's got the green. Um, he's so got he the, a, he's got the super green light too, and he has oh, incredible and he's got the confidence. Super green light. Um, you know, I think those guys that had the super green light, Carson Edwards, uh, Marcus Howard at Marquette has it. Um, you know, it's kind of if they're on, they're on because you can contest the shot, but they're they're so talented and capable of hitting tough shots that kind of the best you can do is the best you can do sometimes. Um, but also to Anthony Cowan's a very tough guy to guard just because of how quick he is and the weapons he has around him. Yeah. When he gets into the room, he can finish, but also he's dumping off to you know Bruno and Smith, who are very uh, very talented around the rim. So I'd say those three guys from the guard position, definitely. Okay, so this is a good one. You've guarded both. Um, Marcus or Carson, who's better to you? Oh, boy. Uh, I'd say Marcus has the ball in his hands a lot more. Um, so he has a lot more opportunities going downhill. Um, I don't know who's better. You know, they both have that killer instinct. They both have that green light. Um, but I'd say the thing that I that I admire about both of them is just their confidence and kind of their approach to the game where I think they really do a good job of not getting too high or too low. Uh, you know, I've seen games where Carson's gone four for 25 and Marcus has gone four for 25, and the next game, you know, they could be 17 for 25. And I think that's something that I always admire about them. That's kind of what um, – that's kind of a consistent thing that stands out with both of those guys. That's hard for me, though, because I felt like that's the kind of narrative I tried to take where I was trying to be emotionless. But, like, I'm actually – sometimes you're better when you are emotional. Like, how do you how do you still you? You're like, look, I want to be level, but sometimes right. I'm, I'm, I'm better when I'm hyped. I'm, I'm be- even getting angry, sometimes you play better when you play angry. How do you manage that? Exactly. That's one thing that I try – I try not to let my passion or my energy be dictated by how I play. So again, there's something that there's things that I can't control. So whether I'm having an off game, whether my shot's not going in, whether I'm in foul trouble, whatever it may be, um, you know that I can still control my passion. I can still control my energy. One thing that I try to manage, I just try not to have it dictated based off my own performance, but more off my team performance and trying to keep that selfless mindset where it's about the team and not about myself. So energy and passion, that's something that's um, contagious. That's something we can always control. You got, but you got Bohannon up coming next. Have you seen some of the shots that he's hit to win them games? He's hit some daggers. Um, he's hit some daggers. Um, he's a great player. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I was obviously had a up and down year um, coming in here. There, it's definitely a game that they need, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Another big opportunity for us heading into March here. All right, it's Ethan's. It's all those guys' senior night, but it's Ethan's senior night. Tell me one thing about Ethan Happ that because you're his, you know, you're his free throw partner, because you're his teammate, you're his guy that you know. T- tell me, give me, give me something on Ethan Happ that we don't know. Huh. Something about Ethan Hat that people don't know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I would say he's a warrior. Um, people know that. Don't give me the he's a warrior thing. Give me something about Ethan uh, Hat. Something he does something in the locker room. Something he eats. Is he, a, is he a booger eater? Is there a movie he always watches <laughs> that you guys clown him about? Is there something odd? Something funny? You know. Uh, oh, my goodness. Hmm. I don't know. I would say, I mean, everyone sees his competitiveness and energy on the floor, and I'd say that goes to everything he does, whether it's who's on the ox in the locker room, who's winning who's a on wrestling the, who's on the what? locker room, who's, who's playing who, who's the on... ox chord, like who has the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. He doesn't let anyone else touch the music if he's in there. What music um, does he play? I think that... So he's a big music guy, so he... I can't even tell you his genre. He jumps from one genre to the next. Um, he's kind of all over the place, kind of depends on his mood. 
Um, but there's one thing. If he's in the locker room, he's the one playing music. He doesn't let anyone else jump on it. Okay. Uh, but I, I guess you kind of get that seniority when you've been here for 14 years. Are you aware of where the Final Four is this year? I've had it circled ever since it came out in 2015, yes, sir. What would it mean? And look, it's, it's going to be an uphill challenge, but you guys have shown in the non-conference and in the conference you can compete with anybody. You can beat anybody. You can lose to anybody. But it's, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be crazy with Ethan Happ, with you and Dimitrik, you know, to hit some shots, to, to make a run. What would it mean for a kid from the Twin Cities to bring his Badgers to the Dome and play for a national championship? It would mean the world to me. Um, you know, it's something that, you always dream about, you know, you watch the one shining moment, you watch it from your couch, um, you always make a bracket, you're always tuned in. You know, I've always said March Madness is like a holiday. Um, and, you know, I still don't, I always think it's the feeling last year of being in the being in the tournament, but this year, you know, I can't imagine Selection Sunday. Um, but being able to play in the Final Four, you know, in my hometown, in the home of the Vikings, U.S. Bank Stadium, um, and just knowing, you know, kind of what we went through last year and that struggle we faced last year, um, how hard it was on our team, on our coaching staff, and kind of on our fan base. Um, seeing U.S. Bank Stadium and a lot of red would mean the world to not only myself, my teammates, um, but I know it would mean a lot to Coach Guard and just the whole entire fan base. Um, so I, I don't even really know how to put it in words, but it would mean the world to me. No, I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, hear it, I can hear it in your voice. Uh, uh, la- last thing, and this is probably the – there are people that don't like you because of – how you take charges and how boisterous you, you you are. How do you when when people are yelling at you, booing you, nasty to you? Like, do you hear it? Do you process it? Is there something you say to yourself? How do you how do you how do you manage that when you play these road games and even these neutral site games when all eyes seem to be on you? Yeah, you know, early in the year, it's definitely something that I let affect me because um, I'd never kind of been in that spotlight that was a lot negative. Um, so it's something that I had to get used to. I never kind of played that role or been in that role before, um, but it's something that I've, you know, that I've grown a lot in. You know, I try to block it out, but at the end of the day, you hear it. Um, you know, I think there's a certain way you can look at it, and you can look at it in a negative way or clear it in a positive way. Um, but the one thing that I always say, I talk to my pastor about, and I talk to my parents about, um, is there's certain things in life that you can't control, and you can't necessarily control the opinions of others. Um, and I don't play for the approval of others. You know, I play for the approval of myself, my my teammates, my coaches, my family, and my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what I stick to. Um, so I try not to let any outside circumstances. Um, I can't, even though I maybe wish they liked me, um, you know, those are feelings I can't control. Um, I, I, we always say you can't, can't necessarily control feelings, but you, you can't let feelings control yourself either. So I, just, I try to block them out the best I can, but also I know I don't play for the approval of that either. Can't wait to see you in Chicago at the uh, Big Ten tournament. In the meantime, uh, you made a fan out of me over the last year and a half, and I can't wait for people to hear this, and you'll make a fan out of so many other people. All right, now get back to getting in the gym, figure out how to get Ethan right, and uh, get to the <laughs> Final Four, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. My thanks to Brad Davison, quarterback, coach, and point guard for Wisconsin basketball. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you share it with a friend. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and rate. Listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, every day on Fox Sports Radio. In the meantime, can't wait till Selection Sunday. We'll have a blowout podcast next week. Thanks for listening. This is All Ball.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. 